Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curious Coaches Club. Joining me this week is AFC Fouled first team coach Andy Taylor. We discuss his transition into coaching and the art of fullback play. I hope you enjoy listening. Here we go. Hi Randy, welcome to the Curious Coaches Club. Great to have you on. Hi John, great to be here. Good. I know we've been speaking just um, before we started recording, um, so I'm going to launch you straight into the, the first question. And for those who, who you know don't know you that well, obviously you've recently retired from playing at AFC Files, and you've mm-hmm. joined the coaching staff there. Mm-hmm. What have you What have you found the biggest challenge going into coaching from from being a player? What What's been the biggest challenge for you? Um. The biggest challenge for me, probably in the situation that I'm in, because I I played with a lot of the lads that are there, yeah, and now I'm sort of coaching them, is is trying to sort of trying to separate myself a little bit from from that environment, you know, and so the biggest challenge for me is to is to gain the authority sort of thing because. You know, a lot of them know me as our ta- you know tails. You know, one of the lads <laughs> getting, you know, in the changing room, and now all of a sudden, I'm I'm the first team coach. You know, yeah. and at times, at times, and I have to I have to demand off them a little bit, and I have to have a little bit of a snap at them. I see sometimes when I do, some of them turn around and look at me, and and it's, they're a bit like, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> like, what you you're one of us? What are you mm. saying?" So just trying to get that separation is, and I spoke to. Um, a few people about it and they've said it's actually it's a lot easier to go in somewhere new where it's a brand new set of lads and they don't really know you it's yeah. a lot easier doing it that way rather than doing it the way I've done where you sort of play with the lads and then you're all of a sudden coaching you, it, the lads um, so that's yeah. been a big challenge for me but it's one I'm, I'm really enjoying and one I'm I'm developing um, hopefully and, and the you, other one you, is probably Sorry, but I think the other the other big challenge for me is is just finding finding ways of 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 getting because obviously I know about you know I know the game I've studied the game for my whole life and I've been involved in millions and millions of training sessions but yeah it is completely different when you're the one in charge and you're and you're running it you know and you're you know they're looking at you for answers and they're looking at you to set the rules and set the tempo and set everything and you're the man in the middle in charge it's it is entirely different so. Um, coping with that was a real challenge initially and it's something that I think you can only ever overcome with experience and just simply being on the grass and, and leading sessions you know you can do all the qualifications in the world but actually being on the grass and leading the session is the only way that you sort of develop that and and, and get over that um, which is why this sort of last year since retiring for me has been such a good experience um, and hopefully you know I'm, I'm developing as a coach and you know, really starting to grasp, grasp that side of it, and and you know, hopefully get my get some of my knowledge across and, and help the players. Yeah. Do you find because you're sort of relatively new to coaching, obviously you've taken part in thousands of sessions, as you said. Do 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 you find that you're sort of still trying to feel for your way of doing things? So you know, like, are you sort yeah. of, are you sort of, because when I when I started, I, I was. I was in teaching before coaching. And when I started teaching, one of the things I found difficult was 
knowing where my boundaries were almost. So the kids were like testing the boundaries. They wanted to work out where my boundaries were. I probably wasn't entirely sure where they were myself. And in a, in a similar sort of way with, with coaching, are you sort of, are you, are you trying to, are you, are you still trying to get a bit of a feel for the type of coach you are and how, you know, how you will go about it or, or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I imagine it's something that takes a few years to, to get as well. You know, if, if someone said to me, describe yourself as a coach in three words, I wouldn't really, <laughs> I wouldn't really know. Um, um, and the thing yeah. is as well, as a coach, you don't often get a lot of feedback, particularly first team level. Um, yeah. You don't often get loads of, I, I'm quite lucky to be fair, because I'm at Fylde and the assistant manager, Nick Chadwick, who was a 23s at Wigan. Yeah. And he's a re, he's sort of really good on the, on the coach development side. Yeah. Um, so I'm always sort of bugging him after, after sessions, you know, what do you think of that? What, and he's dead open with me and dead honest with me. And he sort of, trying to develop me as a coach sort of thing. But a lot of the times at first team level, it's, it's just, you know, if, if the lads are happy and the session was good, then, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. One thing I would love to do, and I've not done it yet, is get a session videoed and get me actually to, to see what I look, because I have no idea what I look like. I've no idea what I sound like. I don't, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? I, interestingly, actually, one of the first couple of sessions I took, again, at the end of the session, I asked Nick for some feedback and he said, you're a little bit quiet and I straight yeah. away because my missus is always telling me I've got a bit of a foghorn voice and you can I'm so loud in around the house and I felt like I, I felt within the session that I was shouting loud so when he said that it yeah. took me back a little bit and I thought I thought I was dead interesting because because I, I just yeah. assumed I was loud because I felt like I was being loud so I think that's something I'd love to do, just to be able to video myself in a session and see what my mannerisms are and see how I sound and see how I come across. And I think that's a dead feedback, a really good feedback tool I've not actually managed to do yet. But I don't know when we were chatting before, because mm. the first team environment is so thick and fast and you're going from yeah. game to game to game, you don't actually get much chance to, to reflect and to chat about football and how things went. And, and in particular, you know, <coughs> in your coach development, you don't get much time to even think about it because you're so busy thinking about what we need to do next and the next opposition and, and yeah. things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm waffling that. I've, I've completely forgotten what the question even was. <laughs> I'm waffling that most, but... No, uh, no, I think you've answered it well. <laughs> just, just, just about sort of finding yourself. Yeah, and, finding like, your way, yeah. yeah. Finding your way, but, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the opportunity to get that feedback is really important, but mm. you know, that's why it's, but it's also that mentality of wanting to seek it as well, isn't it? So yeah, of course know, it is. sounds like you've got a good environment there in terms of people you can lean on to, you know, yeah. to, um, to get that feedback. And, you know, that's, that's really good. That's interesting. So in terms of your coaching, then I imagine that you've had, well, you, you've had many coaches during your playing career, mm. which coaches sort of made the most, impact on you when you sort of reflect back and I presume they've had a bit of an influence on you know how you sort of look at coaching yeah um yeah like you say I've, I've been lucky enough to work with with loads of different coaches loads of really good ones loads of well a couple of, of not so good ones and you sort of mm. you do pick up there's probably one I'm going to mention that had the biggest influence on me but you do pick up 
snippets from yeah. all of them, really. Um, yeah. Particularly if, I mean, like I say, I was always sort of a student of the game because I love football that much and I wanted to, and this is actually my first, the, the first coach that influenced on me was um, was Eddie Nick, Nick, it's hard to say, it's Eddie Nick Winsky. He was the yeah, Blackburn coach in Mark Hughes. Yeah, I hope yeah. I got that right. Yeah. And the snippet I took from him, and he was chatting to me one day as a young lad, and he, and he just said, if you've got any chance of being a, a player, you have to be a student of the game. You know, you have to love football and watch it and study it and break it down. And he used an example about Craig Bellamy, who, who just literally goes home at night and watches football. Uh, that's what he said Craig Bellamy does. And he right. said, you have to be a student or you've no chance. And I sort of took that on board and... And I remember I was only sort of 18 and, and video analysis wasn't really in football then because it was, mm. well, it would have been 2001, two maybe. And it's it's a huge part of the game now, but back then it wasn't. Yeah. But I sort of used to, the, the youth team games used to get filmed. Um, nothing much was done with the footage, but they used to get filmed. But I actually used to ask the guy who filmed it if I could borrow it to sort of look over and stuff and, and, and you know, watch my clip, my you know, watch my bits of it and my clips and, and see how yeah. I did. And obviously now that's really commonplace because it's yeah. and a video analysis is a huge part of development in football, but back then it wasn't. But just off what Eddie said, I sort of took that on board and and that was sort of the first sort of influence I had. And then you, I was lucky enough to work with um, the late Dick Bate uh, when I was in the England youth setup. Um, and I wasn't aware at the time, but now looking back and reading things, he was he was renowned as, as a fantastic coach. Um, and one thing he used to say, which stuck with, with me, was and he was talking about players, he, said, he used to say, when you go out to training, be world-class at one thing. That's what he said. He said, don't worry about, don't try and solve everything. Just think, right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be world-class at this today. Heading, yeah. for example. I'm going to be brilliant at heading today. And transfer now I'm a coach, transferring that to coaching, I think that's quite a a good message because, and I found this particularly with me, when I'm taking a session, because at times you sort of see so many things that you could coach and so many things that you could fix or so many things that you could, like say, stop. You could, you could, you could talk for hours and go into all sorts. And actually, if you can just concentrate on one thing, if you can sort of go into a session and say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to, from this session, if the lads can learn one thing, yeah, then I'm happy it's a good session. Yeah. Rather than going into it and trying to suck, because you can't, sounds daft, but you can't teach football in one session. You can't. No. So just, I've sort of taken that from the coaching side, just, just try and concentrate on one aspect per session. You know, and if you can really nail that, and it might be a bit, monotonous and a bit whatever but if you can nail that and the lads nail that and they get it and then next session you move on to something else and then eventually you start seeing development rather than trying to solve everything all in one go yeah um so that was a, a good message for me but the probably the coach with the biggest influences at also is a guy called Richard O'Kelly okay Dean, Dean Smith's assistant um and he was such a big influence because he just he, he was a little bit like a riddler. He always used to give you these riddles and he used to question everything and he just used to make you think. He just used to, as a player, there's so many players that turn up to sessions and go go through them in autopilot without actually thinking. 
that he, he used to make you think all the time and he'd question why, why, why. And he'd ask you your thought process. And his sort of coaching method was, if you can, if I ask you why you've done something and you can justify it and you're trying to do something positive, even if I think it's wrong as a coach, you know, I'll have that. Mm. You know, if he stops and said, you know, Tails, why have you done that there? Or why did you do that? And I say, well, actually, I saw him making this run and I thought I might be. And he'd say, right, fine. Yeah. So he used to make you think and he used to make you make decisions. And and in the end, the team at Walsall, we had, we, we didn't even need a coach because we had a team of thinking players and we could change formation within the game and we could solve problems within the game. So I think he was he was he was a massive influence on me because at the end of the day, you know, the, you can you can you can give players all the information you want, but they, they can't solve problems on the pitch because essentially that's what football is. Yeah, it's solving problems on a football pitch in a team, solving problems defensively. How do we stop the opposition? And solving problems in an attacking sense. How do we break them down? How do we get through? And, there's only so much info on a match day you can get from the sidelines. It's minimal, especially with crowds. It's minimal the info you can get from the sidelines. So if you can develop players that can solve problems on the pitch, then you're winning. You've got to be winning, aren't you, as a coach? Um, yeah. And that was his, that was his philosophy really: develop thinking footballers and keep questioning why, why, why. It used to actually. Um, and it used to annoy me, really. But looking back, it was brilliant. In the middle of training sessions, he'd say, right, time out. And the two, so you'd be doing a possession, so two-team possession. He'd say, right, time out. Teams go, go and get in a huddle, have a chat. And he'd make the teams have a chat to each other about how it's going, what mm. we need to do. Mm. you know. And he was, he was always introducing new rules and new problems. Some of them used to annoy the hell out of me because I thought these are stupid rules, but... <laughs> it will always make you think. Yeah. Um, so that was that. That stuck with me really, you know, because, like I say, at the end of the day, if you can develop thinking footballers, you can solve problems, then you you, you fly really. Um, yeah. So that it's really, it, on me. It's really interesting, and it's not, you know, with the greatest of respect, it's not necessarily what you might expect to find, you know, from a coach working in league one either is it really or you know working no. in league two i mean I, i've heard dan machichi was one of the you know the coaches at the fa he um he became the mk don's manager didn't he on a caretaker basis and mm -hmm. when he's i know that you know and it although it wasn't wholly successful for him you know he I think there were some really close games when it just went went against him. But one of his reflections from listening to him on another podcast was he said that working at first team level, he he got he realized that the players just wanted to know sometimes. They just wanted him to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. Um so you know, to change that dynamic is quite a challenge, isn't it? But ultimately, like you say, if you you know the goal that you're working towards is to have players who can make the decisions for themselves on the pitch. Mm. Um, but it maybe depends on the, the context. So if you're in a relegation scrap, you maybe need to adjust that approach slightly. Yeah, it depends massively. And I've always said this looking back, it depends massively on, on the culture at the club as well. Yeah. Because you have to have a certain, like I said, it used to annoy me sometimes what he did. Um, 
stopping it and getting together and because you just as a sometimes a first team player you just want to play and you yeah. just want to be like you said be told what to do so it used to at times and I always used to feel at times it's it's like an academy set up this it's, it's so hmm. the, the culture of the club was massive because it could easily have gone the other way and you could easily have if you walk into a first team squad and you've got certain characters and you try and implement that coaching style and they don't buy it you could easily just just lose the players straight away. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's a very risky, I think, way of doing things, particularly at first-team level. Um, yeah. Brilliant for a development coaching, but at first-team level, it was a very risky way of doing things, but it, it worked because of the culture we had at the club. Mm. You know, it was sort of everyone was dead tight-knit together and... All sort of in the right direction, and and the I think the man so the recruitment was massive. You know the characters that the, the manager brought in, yeah, that would buy in that would buy into that type of coaching was massive. Because like I say, it only takes two or three, two or three strong characters within the squad to not buy into it, and you've lost the squad. Um, yeah, doing that yeah. style of coaching, but yeah, it, if you can if you can do it, and it's a powerful thing if you can do it, and you can get the culture right. Um, it's a powerful way of coaching, but it is a very, it's a very high risk sort of way, as as Dan Machici was sort of alluding to. Yeah, it's quite a high risk way of doing things. Yeah, it's a great um, reference point for you as a coach, though, isn't it? Looking looking back, yeah, you know, as a way a way of working and and you know experiencing that as a player as well. So mm. you've talked about problem solving. I, I want to ask you a a particular. I want to give you a scenario really, and I'm interested in the the art of a fullback play. So what were your strategies for defending against a wide player when they were quicker than you? Because that's something you must have come up against. I'm not saying you're slow. But... Jonah, okay, this, this was pretty much, <laughs> this was about 14 years of my career, this. <laughs> and the worst thing was, you'd have a winger who's quicker than you and then you'd battle against him for 70 minutes to the point where you're absolutely shattered. And then you look over and you see, right, sub. And then they send the next one on. And you think, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Um, no, you're right. I, I, it's, a, it's an issue I had quite a lot, especially after my injury. When I was when I first did my knee, when I was 24 at Sheffield, I never used to admit this to anybody because you don't want to show weakness. But it, I did, because I used to actually, believe it or not, be, be relatively quick. So I used to be all right. But after my, my knee... It changed my whole body shape. It changed my whole running style, and I, yeah, it, you know, I struggled a little bit pace wise, and that only went downhill. Um, <laughs> so I used to just the secret for me was to just not get in a race, because if I got in a race, I'm losing. Yeah. So I had yeah. to develop ways to avoid getting into a race. And there'd be loads of things I could do. There'd be I'd always try and I was always quite good at reading the game, so I'd always try and read when the service was coming to the winger and stepping in intercept, because obviously you're nipping in the bud, you're not in a race. Yeah. So if I could read it and intercept it, happy days, I'm not in a race. If he did receive the ball, I'd have to be really clever with my body shape where I showed him. And then once I, once, once I got him where I wanted him to, I'd have to be really good with my body and I'd use my arms. And I, what I used to do, and I used to, I used to almost buy, I used to buy so many free kicks I'd show them down the line. And yeah. as soon as he pushed it down the line, 
I'd step in and I'd, t- I'd take their space. Yeah. So they ended up just barging me over and I go down and free kick. <laughs> because, like I said, I, I knew if, if they pushed it past me and I just tried running alongside them, I'm yeah. getting beat. You know, I'm losing. So they pushed it past me. First of all, I get my arm up and say, right, that's going to slow you down. And also you've got longer to run around. Or I'd take the space yeah. and buy a foul. Yeah, and it worked on so many wingers because stereotypically a lot of these wingers are rapid, also aren't as clever as some other players. So they get frustrated because mm-hmm. I'd be buying free kicks off them, and they knew. Or they knew all they need to do is push it past me, and they beat me. But I sort of use my game intelligence a little bit to to, to stop them doing that and to not get in a race. Um, and that was it, really. Just it's just sort of like the our manager calls them the dark arts, but it is. It's like the dark arts of defending. Um, yeah. And a lot of days, especially young defenders, they're very honest, they're very naive, and they're very, you know, like wingers will push it past them, and they will just run alongside them and, and try and win them the beat them the honest way in a race. Whereas actually, I knew I couldn't do that for a lot of times. So I had to, you have to find tricks. Um, yeah. And I remember Mark Hughes used to tell me one little tip he gave me actually. He said when when you can see the ball coming across, make give some give your winger some contact or give your forward some contact. When it's when the ball's nowhere near, you give the winger some contact, you put them off their stride a little bit, all of a sudden the ball's coming in, they're not quite ready for it. Because yeah. they're thinking about you shoving them off the ball. So little things like that. Um would always would always help, um, but the big like I said the biggest the biggest message or the biggest thing I used to do is just avoid getting in a race. Whatever I could do to avoid getting in a race. So if I could see that the centre their centre half's got it and he's got a bit of time and he's looking to get the winger over the top, I'd just drop. Yeah. Because um, I know that if he plays if I try and stand high and he plays it over the top and I'm in a race, I'm in trouble. So. It was just all things like that, really. Little little dark arts just to try and avoid getting in a race because I'd always lose. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I mean, there's there's a real intelligence and obviously a craft in what you're talking about. Mm. Um, but it, it goes back to what you were saying previously about problem solving, doesn't it? And about finding yeah. a way yeah. to, you know, to solve that problem, finding a way to deal with it. Um, and it's something, you know, we, we talk to young players in the academy about you might have a player who's, you know, uh, physically less mature than others. Um, you know, he's a lot smaller. Mm. He still has to find a way to affect the game. He still has to find a way to to make an impact. Um, yeah, in- really interesting. Hey, no, sorry, I was going to jump in there. Another way yeah. that I used to do it, and again, it's a massive message for young players, is I used to I used to control my winger with my voice because the last thing I wanted was the really quick winger I'm playing against receiving the ball with 10, 15 yards of space and being able to turn and get his head up and run at me because then I'm in trouble. So I used to control my winger to stop him getting that service. Okay. You know what I mean? So again, it's a massive message for, for young fullbacks because you have to talk to your winger. You have to sort of control him where you want him to be to stop the service to the opposition winger. Yeah. And it and it and it's a, it was a selfish thing because I didn't want that winger receiving the ball 
and being able to turn and, and run at me and build up steam. I wanted him to receive it where I was in a position to, to go and nail him and get tight. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so I used yeah. to control my winger. So rather than sort of playing inside my winger straight to the fullback, I'd have my winger inside. So they have to go fullback and then winger, by which point I'm tight. Yeah. You know, and it was it was just using my voice as well. So again, it's it's not really dark arts as much, but by using my voice and using my body, I could avoid getting a race with the winger. Um, yeah, that's great. That's really really interesting. Um, we've spoke about this prior to coming on the podcast, but I noticed when I look back over your career, you had quite a lot of loan moves, didn't you? You know, yeah. you had three three or four loan moves. Um, a handful of games at each of those clubs. Mm. How important do you think loan moves are for young players? And what what did you learn from yours? Well, first of all, I think them. I think they're hugely important um, because the academy system, the way it is, it's almost like a bit of a bubble. Um, mm. And when you're in that bubble, you, you sort of got no real idea of what real football is like you know and, yeah. and, and you know if you manage to progress and, and get into your first team brilliant but the majority won't and they'll have to go out into the real world and the football league and try and earn the trade and um, I remember I got my first I got my first loan move at 19 um, and I wasn't you know I wasn't particularly desperate for it I didn't really know what but I just got sent out on loan by the manager and I went on loan um, absolutely loved it it was it was first experience of, of, of proper first team football but then the, it was QPR um, but then after a month the manager he was Ian Holloway at the time the manager got sacked um, apparently the club was having money troubles there was three or four lads on loan we all got sent back to our clubs so I only had like a month a month and a half there but after that experience and then going back into the what was the it was just the reserves then, I think. It wasn't the 23, it was the reserves. Going back into that bubble, I was just I was just desperate to get out again, desperate to get out as soon as possible and get back into the first team environment where you know everything's on the line and you know there's three points as lively. And I just I just loved it. Um and at times it was hard because you know you make it you made a mistake, you you sort of felt it because uh, people would tell you, the manager would tell you, you might get subbed off, you might get booed off the crowd, whatever. Um, so it was tough, but it was it was a, just a, such a good environment. Um, so I was desperate to get out and I went out again and then got recalled. And next season I went out and I was just, oh, I must have been a right pain. I was constantly knocking on the manager's door saying, can I go and play? Can I just want to play? I just want to play. Can I go and play? Um, and it set me up brilliantly because when I did eventually leave Blackburn, you know, when I'm in that first team environment, I'd already had loads of exposure to it. Mm. So I just I just settled in no problem. And I can never understand nowadays why players are reluctant to go out on loan. At any level, it doesn't really matter on the level. It's just being in that first team environment because at some point, if you're going to have a career in football, you're going to be in it and you're going to be thrust into it. And it's almost like, a, I know we chatted before, it's almost like a sink or swim scenario. Mm. And you don't really get many chances at it you know if you go and you fail in your first one you, you sometimes that's it so 
young players, if they've not got exposure to it and all of a sudden they're thrust into it, sometimes they might really struggle. But So that's where loan moves, I think, are key to, to give young players some exposure of it. And sometimes, and again, we were chatting before, sometimes I think even a loan move that fails is brilliant. Yeah. A brilliant experience because then actually you might real you might make you sit up and think, oh God, that, that was that was tougher than I thought. And yeah, I'm back in this academy bubble now, but I know that when I go out and really need to improve at this, I really need to work on this, I really need to to whatever. Um so even a loan move that fails is a a much more worthwhile experience than than just staying in your comfort zone in the academy because like I said, so sooner or later you're going to be thrust outside your comfort zone, and you're going to have to sort of fend for yourself and 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 progress in your own career and create your own career if you're going to have one. Um, yeah. So loan moves for me are, are massive. I gain loads from mine, and I'd recommend any young players go and have a loan move, go and get in a first team environment. It's it's there's nothing like it. There isn't. It's interesting as well because for a lot of these players that we're talking about here, the ones who have progressed through the age groups, they've probably been the best players. They've probably had loads and loads of success and they've probably not had any failure and they probably are very comfortable, aren't they? And, mm. you know, for some of them, like we've said, they might be able to just go straight into the first team. Um, but for some of them, if they do go there, they just might get exposed and, and they need something before that to get them ready for it so that when the chance comes, they can take it. Yeah, it's interesting. So final question then, what did, what did you want from a coach as a player and how will this influence your approach in terms of how you go about it? What, what did you want from your coaches? Um, I think the biggest thing is honesty, really. You know, you want, you want honesty from your coach. You know, if, if you're doing well, you want to know that you're doing well. But more probably more importantly, if you're not doing well or there's something that you really need to improve on, you need to know this, you know, and you need to be told this. And at times it's not something that you might want to hear. But mm. I think as coaches, it's easy to sort of brush things aside and say, oh, yeah, you're doing all right. Yeah, you're well done. Yeah, you, you know, you... But actually, it's difficult at times to sit someone down and say, look, that's that's not good enough. That If you're going to have a career, that needs to improve massively. Yeah. And it's difficult to hear. It's difficult to sort of, as a coach, especially when you're working with, with younger ones, it's difficult to say. But at the end of the day, you're not really doing them any favours and you're not really doing your job if you're not being honest with them. Um, and again, at the end of the day, it's a game of opinion. So I, I might say that player X needs to really improve on, on something, otherwise he, he really struggle to have a career. Someone else's opinion might be different, but I wouldn't feel right if I didn't say this to player X and a year down the line, you know, he got released for this reason. Yeah. And then he turns around and says, well you, well, you never told me or you never helped me with it. Or, you know, I wouldn't, that's not me doing my job as a coach. Um, mm -hmm. So honesty is massive. Um, and apart from that, just just enthusiasm, really. Just enthusiasm. I was always one that was, was desperate to do extra work after training. I'd always be saying, can I do some extra crossing? Can I do some extra this? You know, and, and I, I did work with the odd coach who would be a little bit 
when you'd ask them to do extra work, they'd, they'd be like, well, uh, leave it. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it another time because he wanted to go and get his lunch or something. I don't know. Yeah. But so I think particularly you, you just want enthusiasm from your coach, um, you know, and to and it, and it rubs off. I, I remember again. I'm going to go back to that lone move at QPR. It's my first experience of football. But Ian Holloway, I've no. I was only there a month and a half. I've no idea what he's like as a coach and or whatever. But it just the one. He was just so enthusiastic. He just literally, you could see, he just clearly loved football and loved being out there. And I've no idea. Like I say, I was only ninety. I've no idea what he whether he what he was saying made sense or whether it was right or not. But it was just his enthusiasm just rubbed off on everybody. You know, and the yeah. whole session was the whole session was 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 buzzing just because he's leading it and he's having a great time and he and, it, and he just loves football and he's and it, like I say, it just rubs off. Your, I think your attitude as a coach rubs off so much on players, particularly within sessions. You know, if you're a little bit dour and down in the dumps, and then the session's going to be like that. Whereas if you're sure. dumpy and, and enthusiastic and whatever, then the session's going to be like that. So probably those two, really. Probably that's that's what you're looking for. Honesty and enthusiasm are probably the two that I'd... I'd go for obviously there's a lot there's a lot more that comes into it, but for me they're probably the main two. You know, being yeah. told being told how it is and what you know, being honest with players and like I say, having that enthusiasm to you know, to want to help them, to want them to get better, to want to do the extra work with them and, and to clearly be, you know, clearly love the game and love being out there and, and you know, it's difficult at times maybe when it's minus four and, and chucking it down but that's what you're there to do I guess that's your job to, to enthuse the players um, and in turn they should enthuse you yeah uh, and that's probably about it if I'm honest that's 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 all you're really looking for as a coach when I, from my experience good no I think that's a, a great message to, to end on really I think you know the importance of enthusiasm. I remember when when I was working at the Football Association, they did some interviews with the current England players at the time, and they asked that question to them. And um, I remember James Milner was one of the ones that answered, and they all just talked about enthusiasm and fun and energy, and that's what they yeah, wanted yeah. from that's what they wanted from a session, you know. And that's right at the very top. And I think. I think that's the same in, in any session with any group of players, isn't it? I know your lad goes along to like an under fives, under six session and I imagine he wants exactly, exactly the same thing as well. Um, yeah. So, so important. So listen, that's great. Thank, thanks for those insights. I think that's been a really fascinating listen. Um, really appreciate your time and really oh, look forward it. to it. It. Good. Watch, watching your development as a coach as well. I think, um, I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, nice to chat about a few different things that you don't really get a chance to, to chat about in your day-to-day -day work. You're that busy. It's nice to reflect sometimes a little bit. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Andy, will you have a good Cheers, evening? Tom. I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you very much. Cheers, John. Cheers. Thanks once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a good reminder this week for me around the real craft of coaching. 
and in particular the importance of detail. I think sometimes it's very easy to get lost sight of the wood for the trees. Sometimes when we're delivering sessions we can get too caught up in the practices and looking at the bigger picture stuff but it's that real fine detail that the players need. So when you're next coaching that's something to think about. It's certainly something I'm going to be trying to put into my sessions this week. Have a great week. I will be back next week with another guest.